All right, what is this? What is this? What is this? Okay, this is the first podcast I've ever done without Muggsy by my side. That's true. He will no longer be by my side. Muggsy has passed on. This will be one of those cathartic episodes as I discuss what's been going on lately. Yeah, my beloved Beagle was peacefully put down last Friday at 4 p.m., at East Santafel Veterinary Clinic with Dr. Bill Estmeyer. And it happened, and it happened because it had to happen. And it happens to all dogs and all beings. And we know it happens, but when it happens, nothing prepares you for it. You could just intellectualize it. You can envision, what's that moment going to be like when he takes his last breath? So, it's been heavy. Grief is weird. Grief is actually heavy. You actually feel the weight of something on you. It's miserable. And all good friends, all good family members, they say the right things. I mean, everybody says the right things. There's only a few things you can say. In the category of offering condolences, there aren't magic words. There's not a magic pill. You just endure it. And it's sad. And I miss him. And I will be saying a lot of obvious things like that in this episode. I miss him, and I wish he was still alive. How obvious is this? Actually, how obvious is the whole idea of man bonds with his dog, realizes his dog is natural medicine, is a sense of warmth, it's therapeutic, it's a companion, it's a best friend, it's family. You've heard this old tale. But this one's a little bit extraordinary. This one's a little bit unique. Because at first, I didn't even think I could handle him. And then I got to admit, he was a terrible dog. I mean, if we judge dogs on obedience and following rules and making good decisions, he was not good at any of those things. He was always difficult. He was always a challenge. I got used to the anxious feeling of having a dog like this. And now that he's gone, I kind of miss that anxious feeling. I mean, now that he's gone, even right now, this room smells fine. That's a bummer. I'm looking at my clothes. They are not covered in his fur. There's no more shedding in this house. There's no more coughing. There's no more whimpering at night. This sucks. What, I'm going to get good night's sleeps now? Great. I would have just kept saying, swipe the credit card. Swipe the credit card at the vet. They didn't even take my money for vet visits anymore. They just started prescribing things over the phone. Hey, it's Rosenberg. He needs another dose of this. Hey, it's Rosenberg. He needs a little more medication for Muggsy. It it was just like, of course, take whatever you need. That was my pharmacy. Great vet, too. So the last three weeks have been fucking awful. I mean, a year ago, he gets total ear canal removal surgery. So I bought him another two years of life, I thought. Maybe three years. I don't know. This is me just trying so hard to deny reality, to push back the inevitable. But the last three weeks, it started with a call to the vet. Hey, he's not feeling well. He's suffering. And they said, all right, how about gabapentin? So I picked up gabapentin and it didn't work. And his ears still hurting and there's all this liquid discharge coming out of it. This is going to be gross for a moment, but stay with me. So a week later, he's still whimpering at night and he's still pacing around the house. And I say, hey, let's up the ante. What else you got? What else you got? Like, they're a bunch of drug dealers over there. We're in the back alley. What else you got? And they said, how about carprofen? I don't even Google it. 
I don't even care. Just tell me how many pills. I'll double it. Double down. So I pick up Carprofen. And that week, no good. No improvement. Still whimpering. And I'm thinking, ah, shit. Are we getting closer? Like almost anger. Like, come on, modern medicine. Give me something. And then the next week they said, all right, it's time for the opiates. Here's the tramadol. And I'm like, bring that shit. Bring the tramadol. And he's having the ear pain. And more liquid discharge coming out of that ear. And he's pawing at it and whimpering. And he's screaming and he's yelling and he's keeping me up. And I'm up three times a night, pacing around the house with him and taking him outside, taking him on walks throughout the front yard and backyard at 2 a.m., 4 a.m., 6 a.m. And guess what? You just do it. I mean, yeah, that's a dog example. But if you're a parent and your kids are up at night feeling shitty, you just get up. There's no, woe is me. There's no, oh, I hate this so much. It's just, hey, this is life. So this is what we're doing. But if he's suffering, I got to look in the mirror and say it's time. And it was time this past week. So I called the vet and said, I got to make an appointment with Dr. Bill. And they knew, they knew it wasn't put Muggsy on the scale and maybe we can give him a new drug cocktail of maybe two of these in the morning and maybe we could try. No, we were done. We reached the end of the prescriptions. So I woke up Friday morning and everything was the last, the last dog walk, his last bowl of food, his last nap, his last tramadol, his last car ride. And on Friday, as I got in the car in the morning, I looked up and I saw the most incredible rainbow I've ever seen in my life. So there were omens. There were signs that the heavens were ready for him. And do I believe in that? Yeah, kind of. And why not? Why not? The mystical cosmic world of what else is out there beyond us. I mean, I've never seen a rainbow like that. I'm 39 years old. I've never seen a rainbow this vivid. It was like cartoon rainbow just above my neighborhood. The Rainbow Bridge, they were ready. And that was it. That was the last day. So every minute throughout the day just felt like, here we go. I'm dreading this. I'm dreading this. I'm dreading this. I'm dreading this. And my wife and I drove there, put him on a leash, walked him through to this room. And in this room, there's a nice thick blanket on the ground. There's two stools and each stool has a little table of Kleenex next to it. And there were some nice indoor plants. Like they try to set up this room at the vet, knowing what's about to go down. Then the vet comes in and says, hey, I'm sorry about this. And I said, you're a great vet. I appreciate you. And then I realized, oh no, I won't be able to stop crying. And I'm somebody that doesn't really cry much. So crying involves muscles that we don't use unless we're crying. Muscles in like the jaw, in the neck, in the eyes. There's muscles all over our face that I wasn't using. So crying actually hurt. And then once the floodgates were open, couldn't stop crying. So it was just crying in front of anybody and everybody. And they gave him a shot and then they brought him back into the room. And I went on the ground with him and just had the moment of watching him go to sleep. I'd never done that. And then I threw his leash away in the trash can. And drove up to the highest hill I could find in Santa Fe with my wife. And we just sat there looking at the clouds. Not really saying much. Just crying and like, what What now? Then the emptiness sets in. What now? There's no instructions. I mean, a lot of people have written about grief. There's a lot of great quotes. I've been Googling quotes about losing your dog. There's a lot of good stuff. But really, what do you do now? You just wait. And you wait. And you say, all right, human condition. To be resilient. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. But it's just sad. It's sad as fuck. You know that if you're listening right now, you know. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. Is this relatable, though? Do you even like dogs if you're listening right now? Are you ready for a full dog episode? If not, you might want to abort right now. This is a one-dimensional episode. 
I'll get back to it. I'll get back to the old go off on a tangent, jump around, jump around. But this one's just about Muggsy. I'm going to tell the story and not just the story of Muggsy, but this is the story of my life from age, what, 23, 24 to 39. Think about those developmental years to always have a dog by your side. I mean, this is uncharted territory. I don't even remember life before that dog. I just know that he was a presence. He was not an introvert, wallflower, keep to himself type of dog. He was a needy ass motherfucker. Needy. And that is why I made a lifelong decision to wear his ass out. Three walks a day, every single day since 2006. I got Muggsy in February of 2006. He was about a month old. He was out of an ad, like a hard copy ad in a newspaper or some pamphlet that my girlfriend at the time found. And my girlfriend at the time was like really into dogs. Not like, oh, she likes dogs, but her family, breeders, dog trainers, dog dancers. That's actually a thing, dog dancers, teaching dogs how to dance. And my girlfriend had asked me a few times, can we get a dog? And we just moved into an apartment in Mission Valley in San Diego. My answer was always like, no, what? No, we're young. We're getting jobs. We're starting our lives. A dog, that just sounded overly domesticated. And I think she was sad. I think there was an element of sadness that we just didn't have a dog. We had a lot of good things going. I had been hired at a radio station that I loved, found an apartment I loved. Relationships seemed to be going well at that time. And then she found this ad and the ad said one beagle puppy left with a photo of Muggsy. And she said, can we just look at it? Can we just go look? And you don't look at a puppy. No one looks at a puppy. You go and get the puppy. Little did I know. So we drove deep into the barrio, some rough area, bars on windows, just knocked on the door. And I'll never forget this guy, Joel Diaz, answered, probably in his 50s. And he kind of opened the door just a crack and said, you here for shorty? I was like, if that's what you named him, I guess we're here for shorty. He's like, come in. And Joel Diaz was like, kind of quiet, as in, just give me the money and take the dog already. I don't think he knew we were there to just look, just look. So he said, you want to meet Shorty? Sure. And it looked like this gopher from behind the curtains. You just saw this movement of a little tiny hamster animal behind the curtains. You couldn't even see the dog yet. And there he emerges. And he takes a couple of steps forward and immediately just takes a piss for about two minutes all over this guy's kitchen. Just all over a streaming puddle. And nobody did anything. Like nobody freaked out. We all just stood there quietly watching a month old beagle piss a big old river step in it and then track it all over the house. And at that point, I'm just like, all right, who do I make this check out to? I actually had a checkbook. That is not a joke. I brought a checkbook in 2006. So I wrote the check. Muggsy was about 400 bucks, I believe. And then right as we are leaving, he said, you want to meet his dad? I was like, what? Yeah, go outside. So we went outside of the backyard. This giant beagle is chained to a fence, smoking a cigarette. All right, that last part's not true, but we got to meet Muggsy's dad. Just a huge beagle. I'm like, no way this is a purebred beagle. And Muggsy was so small, so I named him Muggsy, thinking he'd be small like Muggsy Bugs, but he grew up to be 50 pounds in a few months. I thought he had gigantism early on. I really did. I thought, oh, something's wrong. He's not going to stop growing. And that first time I put him in the car on that drive home, I was going like 40 miles per hour on the highway, just knowing there was something fragile in the car. He was oddly good in a car, though, throughout his life. Terrible everywhere else. Terrible, but good in a car. So what's the story? Happily ever after? 
No. Girlfriend dumped me, broke up with me soon after. Probably five months after we got Muggsy, she leaves, and I didn't really feel I could keep a dog. He was mischievous. I mean, this guy was totally disobedient, destructive. When I describe how destructive he was, it'll sound like I'm exaggerating. But it was just too much. It was too much. A relationship I thought was going really well just plummeted quickly. And this was a crash and burn. This is a girl that I think wanted to marry me a few weeks prior, went to Vegas with a few new friends and clearly met somebody and came back from a girl's trip to Vegas, sat on our couch in our apartment and just looked at me quietly. And before she even got to the breakup speech, I said, you're going to break up with me. I just had that intuition. I said it out loud. I was like, you're about to break up with me, right? And she just nodded quietly. I said, oh, okay. So dealt with that. And then I was like, what about the dog? She had no intention of taking the dog. So there it was. Big decision. Will I keep it? I remember there was a little point where I was like, so tempted to put him on Craigslist. I even sent out a company email at the radio station. Free puppy. Anybody want one? And there was this one lady, Anne. She came right up to me. She's like, oh, I've been looking for a dog. Is he good? And I said, no, he's terrible. This is like the shittiest dog ever. Let me explain. He chewed up the whole couch. He chewed up my mattress. He chewed up the carpet, like all of the carpet. So basically I lived on concrete. He chewed up my cell phone, my remote control, my shoes. He chewed all the trash. He got into the fridge and ate all the groceries always. So I had to get baby locks. And then just as I'm about to put his ass on Craigslist, 30 bucks or best offer, 30 bucks OBO. I remember my mom said, well, just keep him for a, a few more days and see what happens. Keep him for a few more days. Maybe you'll go to obedience school. And in those three days, a newspaper article was written about me. And I didn't even realize that there were journalists who cover sports radio. There are writers, there's reporters out there who listen to sports radio. And then they write the media critic column. And I was in there and I got ripped apart. And I was having the best time of my life in radio, just carefree, didn't really know the business side of it, didn't know the sales side of it, just having fun on the mic. And this article, it hit me in the heart and I realized, oh wait, I'm really sensitive. I always thought that. If I had thicker skin, I probably would have wanted to stick around in radio for much longer, but I didn't. That shit got to me. I was sad. I felt like, oh, this article in a San Diego newspaper criticizing me. I was destroyed. And then that weekend, didn't go out, didn't hang out with friends, just had this little pup and he made me feel better. You knew that's where the story was going. There's something about it, the oxytocin release. I don't know what it is. I don't know why dogs are therapy. I don't know, but the bond was built. Boom, there it is. I realized, okay, I need him. And I never felt like I lived alone for the next eight years. Just me and him in that apartment. Never really felt like I lived alone. And then the routine began. The hamster wheel routine began. Every single morning, I brought him to Balboa Park with a newspaper and a coffee. And I realized I got to wear his ass out. If I'm going to have a full-time job, spend a lot of the day at the radio station, I got to wear his ass out in the morning because this dog has too much energy, way too hyper. He was so fast and he liked to bite. I wish I could just say he was teething, he was playing, but this motherfucker bit and he stole other dog's toys and he annoyed everybody and he sang with joy, but it just sounded like he was screaming in pain. He had this very distinct bark or bay. I don't know. But he needed to be outside. Beagles are not supposed to be in apartments. My girlfriend at the time, even when she was getting Muggsy with me, she told her grandma, her grandma was a dog breeder. 
hey, we're getting a beagle. And the grandma said, don't. Beagles don't belong in apartments. They belong in forests. They're hunters. And we did. We put a beagle in an apartment. So I had to go three walks a day every day because he was always going to the door. Always going to the door. Always trying to find a dumpster. Always trying to run away. I did lose him, actually. He did run away. A few times. But one day I really lost him. Like signs up, lost dog, went to work, figured, all right, there it is. I'll never see him again. And I got a call at about 4 p.m. from a neighbor saying he's swimming in the fountain. He's been swimming in the fountain for about three hours, just doing the breaststroke. Okay. But three walks a day. I mean, it sounds boring, right? I probably enjoyed 50% of them, but every day for 15 years, just all that time outside to think, to reflect, call people, listen to radio, listen to podcasts, just time to connect with nature and fresh air got me out of the house. I mean, when I say I enjoyed probably half of those walks, I'm probably going to now miss 100% of those walks. And sometimes it was just too much. You just want to get into sweats and be on the couch all day. There was none of that. I was always going to dog parks. I was always going on walks. He made me antsy and anxious because he was antsy and anxious. So that was our relationship. And this fucking dog remained a puppy until he was like eight. He never grew out of it. He just kept destroying and destroying and destroying furniture. I didn't even mention this. We weren't allowed to have a puppy at this apartment. We were renting. Landlord said no dog. So I was sneaking him all this time destroyed that place you'd actually eat drywall none of this is a joke when i say i lived on cement because he ate through the whole carpet i mean it he chewed people's shoes while they were still wearing them i couldn't have fellas over for poker couldn't have that just baby locks everywhere sounds miserable but i got used to it just this gross apartment that you would never bring a girl back to it just smells like piss it's gross everything's destroyed you live on cement in a pile of foam because he ripped your mattress apart. I and mean, this is like a hobo squatting type of life. I remember my mom and sister once visited and they looked around. They're like, holy shit, you need a makeover. Your life needs a makeover. And they took me out to Ross and Marshall's and they just bought a bunch of plastic house plants and diffusers, things to make the house smell better. New paintings from Ross. So I'm talking about like those $17 paintings, those prints, put up some mirrors my mom and sister, they, it was like a great reality TV show. Help the kid with the wildlife animal and the broken heart. Help the kid. Bunch of candles. Feeling good, right? Hey, here we go. Time to transform my life. He ruined all that shit. He just ruined everything that they bought for me. I even remember one day coming home after work and all the plastic houseplants were ripped up in a pile. And I actually had some real houseplants with real dirt. And those were all just mounds of dirt on the floor now that he had kicked around. So I shoveled it all into a garbage bag. And as I'm one foot away from the front door with that garbage bag, he ran full speed and bit a hole through the garbage bag and everything just fell. And I think that was the first time I fought him. Put up your fists. Put up your fists. We're going to fight like men. And we just cried and punched each other and said, what are we doing? I need to release you into the woods. This isn't working. So we did go to obedience school for three months. Nothing happened. He just ruined every class. He ruined every class. All the other dogs are progressing. All the other dogs are making strides. And he's just wreaking havoc. The other owners didn't like me. Oh, great. Muggsy and his owner are here to fuck it all up. And after class, I'll never forget. The instructor, her name was Maggie Pippin. I can remember this. She still gave Muggsy a diploma in the end. They still did the little graduation. I was like, don't, don't. You don't have to do this. But I asked her after class one day, I said, could I speak to you? Yeah, over here. Away from everybody. I said, hey, Maggie, I'm really sorry. She said, it's fine. 
And I said, just like in human schools, there's special ed. Is my dog in need of special education? Is he special? And she said, no, no. What? I just was thinking, Muggsy's not like the others. He's not learning anything. I think that weirded her out where I was wondering, is my dog different? I mean, he was. He, he was. I knew that. I knew that. And then life continued. He became a featured character on my radio shows, talked about him because, hey, that's life, right? Like this podcast, you talk about life. And now the Muggsy stories, after this episode, I mean, the Muggsy stories are going to dissipate. Soon it'll just be new topics, new issues, new memories. So that's why I got to capture this. I got to capture this while it's fresh in my mind. But he was so destructive at the house that I started taking him everywhere. If I was going to a friend's house, I'd take him to a friend's house. I wish I had a tranquilizer because he did ruin other people's things and I always felt bad. If I was going to a party, I'd take him to a party. He'd eat all the food. If I was going on a trip to visit friends in LA, I'd take him and he'd ruin their house. And then yada, 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 as you know, get through the story already. He came with me to the Bay Area, sat shotgun on the whole drive, that eight hour drive from San Diego to San Francisco, sat shotgun. We went through two drive throughs I said, let's do this. Ordered him nuggets. Those are the best moments of his life. Just driving up the grapevine, eating chicken nuggets. Then as I arrived in the Bay Area and I said, what now life? What now? little sports radio action with 95.7 the game, but also starting my teaching career. You know what that means? You're not making a living. So yes, lived with my mom for many months and she welcomed him with her dog and cat that she already had. And he was oddly accepted. I think this is the moment where he turned the corner and he got a little bit older, not old yet, but he loved the surroundings, parks, trails, schools. He was a sidekick. And then I met Shani, my wife. And anytime I slept over at her place, I would leave early in the morning to come back for morning walks if I didn't bring him. Sometimes I brought him, but other times I just leave early in the morning. And she was probably wondering, what's with this guy? I just couldn't be away for too long. I think it was the idea that maybe he was annoying the people he was with. Like if I had a friend watch him or a family member watch him, or maybe I just needed to be with him. There we go. This is the sentimental part. I realized the therapy aspect became really palpable. Like I wasn't good at vacations. I stopped being great at vacations just because I said, yeah, I'd rather be with him. Hermit, not quite a hermit, but just, yeah, I'd rather be with him. I tried to hire dog walkers. They would quit mid-walk. He was the worst walker. Awful. On and off a leash. Never saw an appetite like that. Just always beeline for a dumpster, a trash can, finding crumbs everywhere. Cushing's disease. Google it. He had Cushing's disease towards the end. So he was totally insatiable. He would drink a pool of water, like a little kid's pool of water. Like every serving of food was just vacuum face. I never saw anything like it. I mean, I realized I'm kind of that way. I eat like a monster too. I got to slow down. I got to be a mindful eater, but it was just like, we were becoming each other. We were both really cute, kind of medium-sized beings. Really cute, by the way. Come on. Muggsy was so damn cute. And he made it all the way to January of 2021. Got this fucking guy in 06. So the end was ugly, just like it always is. He started to pee inside. His ear issues made the suffering way too much. I mean, ultimately, he basically proved that dogs can feel like family, friends, and all that, but they're actually better. It's not, oh, dogs are just like family. They're better than family. Come on, you know that. We learn from dogs. They display mindfulness at all times. They're always in the moment. I'm not. I'm always in my head. But you witness a dog, they're always in the moment. 
So I'll grieve. All right. Like I said, I'm just going to make obvious statements throughout the podcast. I'll grieve more than I've ever grieved. I guess that means I've had a privileged life. And one of the big privileges was the mugs. I haven't really thrown anything out yet, though. His dog beds are all over the house. There's still balls of his fur in every corner. I mean, we are one cleaning away from really getting rid of all the smells. So that'll be sad. It's funny that I like those awful smells. And now this house will be all nice and I'll get good night's sleeps and who gives a shit. And I'm not getting a dog anytime soon, even though I'll be Googling it every single day. What's new at the Humane Society? Just Googling any breed I like rescue. Bloodhound rescue. Should I foster? What do I do? Offer to dog sit for my friends. What do I do? Just keep crying. Actually, even that'll subside soon. I guess I'll end this episode. How about that? I think that's what I'll do. I'll end this episode. So this will be a capsule. Episode 125. Then I'll probably record a different episode later in the week. I'll get back to it. I'll get back on the horse. Did this one sound overly dramatic? It did, didn't it? It did. But grief is a motherfucker. I mean, yes, this is in the form of a dog, but anyone listening right now, you've had a lot of grief. It's just what happens. We all are going to have our last day. One of these days will be our last. For all of us. It won't be hard on us. It'll be hard on the people who go, damn, I miss them. So Muggs, I know Muggs is just at the big buffet in the clouds. Just eating all you can eat shrimp. There's got to be a sizzler in heaven, right? Cheesy bread, you know he's attacking that buffet with great fervor. But what do we do? I guess we print out pictures and we record podcasts that sound all somber like this. And then we say into the microphone, all right, I love you, Muggs. Goodbye, Muggs. Farewell. That was the greatest 15 years. The beautiful thing about podcasts is even if I want to shed a tear, I just back away from the mic. This isn't live. I could edit that out. Edit all that out. Make it sound like you got it all together. But I'll let him have the final word of episode 125. Muggsy gets the final word. And then I'll talk to you all soon. What? 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 Come. Bye-bye. I'm your side.